0: Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Martha Santana Chin, who serves as the Medi-Cal president for HealthNet, which insures over 2 million Medi-Cal beneficiaries, as well as about another million or so folks with insurance through HealthNet and its sister organization, California Health and Wellness, not to mention HealthNet, how it operates in the Central Valley underneath Calviva. In today's episode, Martha shares a little bit about her childhood in which she actually was a Medi-Cal beneficiary. And then she walks us through a little bit of the history about how Medi-Cal went from a fee for service organization to a mostly managed Medi-Cal organization here in 2022 with groups like HealthNet. She shares a little bit about what HealthNet, California Health and Wellness, as well as their partner organization, Calviva, are doing with both CalAIM and other initiatives. And she also gives a high-level overview of the current RFP in which private health plans like HealthNet have to bid with the state in order to continue services in the counties that they serve or want to serve in 2024 and beyond. For other episodes of Pop Health Podcast, check us out on our YouTube channel. Pop-up podcast.com or wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, Martha. Thanks so much for joining the show today.
1: Thank you for having me, Gavin. Look forward to the discussion today.
0: Absolutely. Um, I was uh, pleased to hear off the air that Martha and I um, have some 626 connections, San Gabriel Valley connections. So uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But Martha, we like to kick off the show, uh, getting to know the guests a little bit on the personal side. So can you share with us something maybe outside of the workplace, a hobby, fun fact, something like that?
1: Um, happy to. So um, I come from a ginormous family and uh, we have people around all the time. And so I love spending time with our friends and our family. Um, I have a love of cooking. Um, in some cases, uh, you know, more successful cook than others, depending on the recipe. <laughs> and I really like to just, just stay active and love music and um, use reading and music as a de-stressor for myself. But one, you know, a little bit of a fun fact is uh we recently had a family wedding. And according to the step counter, I danced about 14 miles worth of um, dancing steps there. So um, that's how much I love it. It's, you know, it's, it's a great relief, stress reliever. 14,000, uh,
0: you said 14 miles. 14
1: miles worth of dancing. Yes.
0: Which is a lot more than 14,000 <laughs> steps.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is, that yes. is awesome.
0: Well, great to hear really quickly on the cooking side. Uh, anything that's known to be your specialty or if you're cooking for folks, what they love?
1: So, uh, one of the family's favorites are, um, enchiladas, um, Again and uh, pozole, which are, you know, Mexican Mexican recipes, my take on them.
0: All right. Awesome. Loving um Okay. So let's get a little bit more about your background. Give us a little idea of where you grew up and uh, ultimately how you decided to have a career in healthcare.
1: Sure. So um, I uh, was born in Ventura County, California. Um, I am a California girl through and through. Um, I have of Mexican descent. I'm actually the first generation born in the United States. And so I grew up in Oxnard, California, and um, in a family that struggled with poverty. And so we actually grew up on the Medi-Cal program. And so many of the things that our members face today are things that we're very familiar with. And the struggles our members face today are things that we had to deal with um, back when I was growing up. You know, Spanish is my first language. So, you know, language barriers, cultural issues, you know, transportation issues, food insecurity, housing insecurity, all the things that we know afflict um, or that our members have to deal with are things that I have some personal experience with. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, growing up in a family like that, you very quickly have to, uh, you know hold your own and contribute and so from the moment I can get a workers permit I've been working and so um you know start off in you know fast food like many other people and and I actually ended up working for a doctor's office ah. and, um, he trained me to be a medical assistant work the front desk and things like that and over time I ended up working for the public health clinic in in Oxnard and that got my career in healthcare care started um and then um, after I went to college, I was uh, quickly looking for another job.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. was fortunate enough to uh, be given a temporary position at uh, Tenet Healthcare. Well, back in the days, it was the predecessor to Tenet, National Medical Enterprises, and typing up a business plan, and, you know, the rest is history. From there, I just uh, was given opportunity after opportunity, and, and here, here we are. So, um as much as I would like to say that it was a very intentional choice to get into the healthcare space. It was really more out of necessity. Yeah. but, um, you know, the, the stars aligned and I'm, in we're in the place that I'm supposed to be and where we, we can make a difference.
0: That's a great story. And I love how you say you were given the opportunity where I think most of us will know you earned that opportunity, but that's very great. So curious, uh, on my end, my first job was McDonald's. I made, um, <laughs> At the time, minimum wage was 475 and they were legally able to pay me $4 an hour uh, as a trainee wage for the first 90 days. I'm curious, your first job, uh, fast food, was it a national chain or? Um, so,
1: you know, you, Gavin, I think Jeff Bezos and I have some, I think it's Jeff Bezos has something in common. All McDonald's, the first job, and my minimum wage was $325 an hour. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. A little well, bit for you. Um, I hope you lasted longer than I did. I, it was a summer gig for about two and a half months uh, for me. But uh, right when I got to 475 was when school started again. So uh, you mentioned college. Um, now you you were raised, you worked in the 805, the Oxnard area to start your life. But then you actually ended up going to Cal State Long Beach. Um, what was the inspiration there to be a 49er?
1: Um, again, necessity, necessity, okay. uh, uh, led me there. And, and what that, what I'm really mean by that is that, um, when my family immigrated to the States, a number of them ended up, um, living in the South Bay area, Long Beach in particular. And so, um, going to Cal State Long Beach was a way for me to get my housing needs yeah. by living with an aunt. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it was a great journey that we took there, you know, always with family, very well supported. And um, that's how I ended up there.
0: Okay, awesome. So uh, you worked uh, in a clinic to start and then out of school, you worked for the predecessor to tenant And folks who are now in California, tenant used to have a much bigger presence.
1: Yes. in California,
0: so um for folks out there who may not be familiar, maybe the younger generation, um I guess tenant is is tenant still operating in California? Do you know? Uh, forgive me for um, not
1: yeah, no they 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 do have a number of facilities up and down the state. I mean, their footprint has dramatically decreased over the last decade or so. um, but when I worked with them, it was kind of their heyday. They were on the rise, they were in the process of acquiring a number of hospitals up and down the state. And, um, during my time there, it was also when medi managed care was first becoming a thing in the early yeah. days. And so, um, I had the opportunity to work with Tenet to organize a number of physicians that participated and, you know, were on, me- on their medical staffs to get them organized and ready to assume responsibilities for populations in the
0: managed care system. Yeah. And that was, uh, in the nineties, if I recall correctly that you Yeah, were- in
1: the nineties, early nineties. Yeah.
0: Yeah, nice. So you were kind of a part of the wave that was coming, Uh, and now here in 2022, obviously you're leading uh, HealthNet here in California. So tell us how you eventually made it over to HealthNet.
1: So um, I I, after Tenet, I worked for Ultimate Health Services, which is a large federally qualified healthcare center system, and I ran their managed care division and um, really got them set up for uh, you know their their the work that they do now in terms of um, risk-bearing type of business. Um, but through my experience there, um, I was able to take uh, the lead in getting ultimate set up under the Coordinated Care Initiative and um, the connect program, which are two um, efforts that the state um, deployed in uh, the mid 2000s, um, maybe closer to 2010, and um, the whole idea behind those programs was to really um, begin to care for more complex needs and integrate Medicare and medi benefits into a single structure. And so I was the primary uh, lead and on the ultimate side, and I had a lot of interface with the HealthNet team um, back at that point in LA County. And... Um, I was recruited through that interaction um, to come and actually stand up the program for HealthNet. So my first uh, role at HealthNet was to implement the Connect and the coordinated care initiatives for for the counties in which HealthNet was operating at that point.
0: Awesome. And we know HealthNet today is operating in many, many counties uh, here in California, but it's also part of the Centene Corporation, uh, which I think here in California, a lot of us, when we hear the word Centene, we might be familiar with it, but maybe not. Can you tell us briefly who Centene is and where HealthNet fits there?
1: Absolutely. So um, Centene is a Fortune 30 company, and it really is focused on partnering with governments. And um, the goal of the partnership is to provide healthcare services. And um, most of the work that we do throughout the country is um, to care for Medicaid populations or those that are working class. Um, individuals that are signing up for coverage through um, marketplace or the exchanges. And in in California, it's the Covered California program. Um, We also care for seniors through our Medicare programs and um, are uh, actually the largest carrier in the nation on the exchanges and um, the largest Medicaid managed care organization across the country. And we serve 26 million uh, people across the country. Um, That's about one in every 15 uh, people in in the states. Um, And the, the reason we may not necessarily know Centene by name in California is because when Centene enters different states, they allow local leadership to run the program locally. And so in California, we operate under two, two brands today. One is called California Health and Wellness, um, which is basically a company that Centene established in California in 2013 when they first came in to serve rural counties. And the other is HealthNut. And um, HealthNut is a standalone company that has been in business for over 40 years. Um, we were acquired by Centene in 2016. And um, HealthNet really, uh, now we operate both the California Health and Wellness brand and the HealthNet brand, but it's all kind of the HealthNet leadership team that does the work here locally on behalf of Centene. So we're a fully owned subsidiary of Centene. And um, for HealthNet specifically, because we've been in, in California for over 40 years, um, we've really been able to establish ourselves in a, as a, a leader in serving individuals through all stages of life you know, whether they are finding themselves in a situation where they're being served by the Medi-Cal program, to uh, buying insurance through Covered California, um, to, um, you know, maybe an employer-sponsored insurance program, um, or Medicare. And so um, we have quite a, quite a footprint there.
0: Yeah, I, I remember being a health net, uh, like my employer used health net for the commercial insurance side. So I've been a Health Net member at one point in life. So Health Net has two uh, names, I guess, here in California, as you mentioned, Health Net, California Health and Wellness. You also have a relationship um, in the Central Valley region of California with Calviva. Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship?
1: Absolutely. So um Calviva is a uh, local initiative, which essentially means that um, the board of supervisors in the region, which in this case, it's Fresno, Kings, and Madera, have organized a local health plan. And so it's overseen by the board of supervisors, but it's a locally run, fully licensed health plan. Um, In that arrangement, HealthNet has a subcontract with Calviva to operate a full service health plan. And so Calviva has hired us essentially um, to basically arrange for the provision of healthcare services in Kings, Madera, and uh, Fresno counties.
0: Awesome. That's uh, that's very helpful to me. I knew there was a relationship, and uh, off the air, I learned a little bit more about it. So I appreciate you clarifying even deeper today on that. So um, with the three with the three health plans, I mean, two are yours, and then you're subcontracted with Calviva. Um, there's also something, and I don't know if Calviva is part of this, but there's something called the COHS, C-O-H-S, County Operated Health System. What's the difference between, like, a county-operated health system and maybe, like, a private-run uh, plan?
1: Sure. So, um, so so, HealthNet, through California Health and Wellness and HealthNet, um, we serve 3 million members in the state. Right, two million of those members are MediCal members served by the MediCal program. We have about two hundred thousand that are covered through our individual or marketplace products covered California. Um, two hundred fifty thousand are Medicare covered, and then the balance are employee sponsored. And in our Medicaid program, we operate in different counties. Um, there are counties that are organized in a model called um, two plan counties that we we. As a private insurance company are able to compete in those counties. Um, and in the in that model, there is a local public option, and then there is a private option, right? Um, in county organized health system counties, where you know there's twenty two of those up and down the state. Um, one example that your listeners may be familiar with is CalOptima. They serve Orange County. There's another one, um, Gold Coast Health Plan, which serves Ventura County as a couple of examples. Yeah. That model, what essentially happens is, is the Board of Supervisors at a local level um, chose to operate a single plan in the county to deliver Medi-Cal benefits to um, the, the residents, the beneficiaries in, in that specific county. In county organized health systems, private health plans, private insurance like HealthNet do not necessarily, uh, are, they're not necessarily an option. And members have only the one plan option. The that county makes system. sense.
0: So it, when you were living uh, in Oxnard, was Gold Coast around or was it under a different model or name? You remember?
1: No, I mean, but when I was living in Oxnard, um, Medi-Cal was not managed care. It was fee-for-service. <laughs> so ah. Gold Coast did not exist. Yeah.
0: Got it. Thank you for, for that. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the, so you, you kind of gave us an overview of like county operated health systems, local initiative, privately run plans, Medi-Cal, commercial, Medicare. Uh, you've given us a great overview and you've kept it simple, which I really appreciate because all of our listeners and myself, were not, you know, necessarily health plan gurus and know the ins and outs. So the fact that you uh, laid that out in layman's terms is really uh, something I appreciate. One thing that I think is appropriate to touch on is folks like you on the private health plan side recently have had to go through this uh, RFP, a request for proposal where the state is requiring health plans to bid on being a Medi-Cal provider in 2024 and beyond, even if they're existing. Um, Without really going into the weeds, could you give like a high level, uh, just briefly touch on that?
1: Absolutely. So, um, you know, one thing about the, you know, before I I answer that question, um, just to, to point out the difference, the county-organized health systems, the county-operated health systems, um, they do not have to go through this bid process. But in, in um, two-plan counties, like, for example, in L.A. County, um, it's a two-plan model. And in that county, we have a public option and a private option. HealthNut is the private option, right?
0: Yeah.
1: At, in those counties, we have to compete for business. So we, we have to make sure that our members are happy, that the providers that we work with are good partners and that they're happy, right, and that they're satisfied. And we also have to demonstrate that we are um, uh, executing on expectations and driving high-quality care. And so um, what the state is doing through this RFP process is they basically uh, put out a request for proposals to serve all of the non-county organized or single-plan counties. And so, commercial plans like HealthNet are able to bid for the business and in the counties that are available for bid. And awesome. so, um, you know, I, I can't go into a lot of detail in terms of what's happening with the RFP itself because um, we are in the middle of the scoring uh, phase of the effort. Um, but what I will say is that it is very, very clear that the state has um, every intention in continuing to evolve the medical system to really um, serve the needs of the medi beneficiaries more holistically, right? They're very hyper-focused on making sure that we're doing a phenomenal job of integrating behavioral and physical health, of making sure that we're caring for social drivers of health, which in many cases, if we can't get at those issues first, all things around healthcare and healthcare quality and healthcare outcomes, Um, is very difficult to um, address and achieve because people are focused on basic needs, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, just the last thing that I'll say about that is that um, the state is also very clearly interested in making sure that we're addressing um, uh, health disparities and advancing health equities. So, um, you know, we're eagerly awaiting decisions in terms of the awards that are expected to be announced in August and um, are uh, excited about the opportunity to continue to serve different parts of the state.
0: Awesome. Really appreciate you touching on that, Martha, and something that uh, probably most of our audience may not be aware of or, you know, should be aware of because it could impact what happens in the next couple of years. So you mentioned, uh, you know, you guys should find out in August. If folks want to uh, stay up to date on what's going on with that, is like, is that information public, like in August, or is that kind of private and they won't find out till later. Do you happen to know?
1: Yeah, no, the the state, the Department of Healthcare Services will be posting their intent to award contracts for the different counties in the middle of August. And it's available on the Department of Healthcare Services website. So um DHCS has been doing a relatively good job of making sure these these um decisions and the process is transparent. So Um, I would encourage your audience member to just Google, you know, DHCS, you know, um, Medi-Cal procurement and, um, you know, they'll they'll find a lot of information there.
0: Thanks, Martha. I appreciate that. And folks, uh, it's a great suggestion Martha gave. Also, feel free to reach out to me if you guys want uh, more information and I can direct you. Um, One of the great things, Martha, I know you're aware of this, but there's a lot of uh, public advisory groups, stakeholder groups that DHCS makes available to the public. So a lot of these planning meetings um, even being aware of what the rfp is it's not just the health plans who are in this behind Mm -hmm. closed doors meeting it's available to the public and pretty transparent um, which is pretty neat so um, i do appreciate that suggestion again uh, google is uh Mm -hmm. very helpful for me many times um you know gavin
1: gavin just one really quick thing that i would encourage um your audience members to keep in mind the point that you just made about the advisory groups is really important um, the Department of Healthcare Services has been very intentional about seeking input from the public, and um, we have seen much of that input actually translate into what, what they're seeking in terms of um, expectation settings with the health plan. So I you know, I uh, double down on your recommendation for folks to go and look and get
0: involved. Thanks, Martha, that's a great double down and folks again, reach out to me, Um, you'll see my email address uh, on this episode on the screen, and I can help get you guys uh, connected with those advisory groups that are open to the public. One thing on these groups as well, while we can attend, Um, It's not necessarily a place where we all jump in and start talking. Uh, We will be muted in the advisory uh, session. Uh, We can listen in and uh, chat in comments and questions, um, but we will not be verbally participating. Just a quick note there, unless you're uh, nominated to be on advisory, which you could be, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, Okay, so serving uh, rural populations is something I wanted to touch on. You mentioned um, HealthNet's, the California Health and Wellness brand under Mm -hmm. uh, HealthNet, And the focus there was on the rural counties. What are some of the challenges our audience uh, should be aware of and and maybe some solutions you you know of or suggestions, uh, whether it's CalAIM related or not? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So, you know, thank you for that question. I think it's a very important question. Um, There isn't a lot that's well understood about the rural counties. And, you know, I'll just start with helping, you know, you, you to understand the geography, right? So, um California Health and Wellness serves um, eighteen counties. And if you can just picture the California map for a quick second, it's really counties that are north of Sacramento and then east of Sacramento that are basically bordering Nevada. And um, you know, when you think about those counties, one thing that is very um, important to understand is that there is they are all, by definition health professional shortage areas, right? And so, um, there are there's not a significant supply of physis- physicians providers specialists etc that serve those areas so we have to get very creative with the solutions that we bring to those um, counties um, and then workforce is a challenge right so for, even for the providers who are there um, not only because it, you know they're not necessarily the most populous areas but also because they've been especially hit by wildfires and the pandemic and you know, they just have a much smaller pool of talent to draw from. Um, And, you know, distance is definitely an issue. I mean, we have, you know, just to give you an example, Alpine County. Um, We serve Alpine County. Um, Alpine County is the least populous county in the city of California. Um, 96% of that county is actually owned by the federal government. And as a national forest community, Alpine County itself, in the county itself, there are really no healthcare providers to speak of and very few community-based organizations to support the needs of those communities. And so we uh, rely on our network and contracts with neighboring counties to support, you know, residents and Medi-Cal members that uh, live in Alpine. Um, we also try to get creative about offering telehealth solutions, transportation, and other um uh, unique services that we can bring to bear to help support their needs, but it's a challenge. And so, um, you know, that's one thing that I would, that I would say. But um, along those lines, you know, one of the unique things about what's happening with the Medi-Cal program right now, and I know you've covered this in prior um, uh, podcast sessions, um, is CalAIM. So the California Advancing and Innovating Medi-Cal program. Um, the whole idea behind that program is that we've got to be able to address social drivers of health Squarely and get creative about bringing services locally to support needs, to then you know eventually address disparities, improve outcomes, etc. And so um, we have partnered with a number of local um, agencies and in, in the rural counties. You know they might be tribal health partners, they might be the local hospital, they might be um, a supported supportive housing agency, they might be. A county agency, and um, we are in the midst of helping to build capacity and infrastructure that does not exist today. So it's not a small lift, it's a significant lift, but it's a, it's a step in the, in the right direction, something that we really uh, very much need to do.
0: That's a great overview of the the rural challenges. Alpine, I didn't realize ninety six percent was basically federal land. I guess, uh, and there's you mentioned there's like almost no or no healthcare providers, and they have to the neighboring counties. One thing you mentioned, uh, Martha was uh, CBOS or community based organizations. And just a reminder to our audience that health plans like Martha's HealthNet team, um, they are typically not the providers of care they are Mm -hmm. the plans the managers the organizers the strategy um, but the actual providers are often not even you know hospitals but they might be a local not-for-profit that is on the ground or next to the county on the ground that's really able to be that face of of social determinants of health and and healthcare at times. So um, I know most of you probably are familiar with CBOs or community-based organizations, um, but I do know a lot of folks are not familiar with those. So um, get to know your local CBOs. Examples um, of organizations that would be a CBO could be uh, like Jewish Family Services as an example of an entity. Um, They're typically not religiously affiliated and Jewish Family Services serves all types of folks regardless of faith. Um, but there's groups like Meals on Wheels, um, or you might have a senior center that little mm-hmm. do you know, it's actually called the CBO because they do a lot of things besides, you know, just games and activities during the day. They might do case management. They might do, uh, in-home visits with folks, um, uh, to make sure they're doing okay. So sorry for that little tangent there, uh, Martha, but wanted to make sure our audience was familiar. So tell us a little bit about, some of the uh, detailed work that you guys are doing besides what you've already touched on. So you mentioned social determinants health. I know there's a lot of uh, things to do with like housing navigation and even deposits mm-hmm. uh, for folks to get into an apartment. Um, there might be uh, some food initiatives. Can you tell us a little bit about some of these new supports or uh, care management initiatives you guys are doing here in 2022?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um these community-based organizations that you referenced, Gavin, and thank you for expanding. Um, I think it's important that uh, folks understand who exactly these organizations are. Um, they have partnered with us to create a network of what, what is called an enhanced care management entities. And enhanced care management enti- entities are essentially set up to basically address the needs of uh, highly vulnerable, uh, very risk risky um, or acute. Um, situations, and um, they are organizations that are in the community, embedded in the community, understand the community, are uh, know where and how to get resources that might be available out there to help um, stabilize the needs of our, of, our, of our members. And so a couple of the populations that are um, covered through those services, as an example, are the homeless population, people experiencing homelessness. Or are um, housing insecure. Um, you know, some of the folks that we're serving through these programs might be um, individuals that are going to be released from incarceration. Um, they may be individuals that are um, high needs, um, you know, and in very dire situations where, you know, maybe they have substance use disorders or behavioral health conditions or and are living in extreme poverty. And so um, the enhanced care management entities by design are trained to um, work with these populations because many of them have workforces that have lived experiences and know how to connect and motivate and engage um, these individuals. And ultimately, the idea is to get them connected with resources, right? And on the resource side of things, um, community support is a service that's now available through managed care plans. And, you know, the the managed care plans are able to offer um, one or more of 14 different um, community supports type services. Um, You mentioned housing, housing is one. And um, in the housing bundle, if you will, it's everything from housing, um, tenancy sustaining services to navigation services to housing deposits. And the idea behind those services is that if we partner with the local supportive housing um, services provider, um, they'll be able to help support our members get connected with those services to help stabilize that fundamental issue and then allow them to then begin to focus on their care needs. And so there is a whole network of uh, organizations that we've contracted to do that work um, across the state. Um, another example of a community supports that we've um, uh, implemented or stood up is we have a network of organizations that provide asthma remediation services. Now, um, for any of you that are familiar with the Central Valley, um, asthma is a significant issue in that part of the state. And oftentimes what happens is you know the physician might be able to give a prescription for the inhaler or maybe even give a bit of a health education um, focused uh, care plan for, for that member. But if the individual is going back to a home that has mold and um, all sorts of issues within the home that are exacerbating the asthma uh, condition, they may get worse before they get better. And so by um, offering asthma remediation services, we're able to go into the home with our network of uh, providers that are local to address the mold issue, to address some of those issues and um, make sure that we stabilize uh, the, the the root cause, if you will, of the exacerbation. So we're very excited about all of these services. We all. It it is very challenging though because many of the organizations that are providing these services, this is the first time they work with a managed care plan, and so things, simple things like submitting a claim, they may not be familiar with. I mean, many of them have. They don't. They don't know what the coding mechanisms are um, that we are required to use in the healthcare space, and so we've had to do a lot of training and enabling and investing to help them build out their own infrastructure. But then also on the health plan side to make sure that we are equipped to meet them where they are. And so, you know, my, one of the favorite examples that I have is that um, we've implemented technology that essentially takes written invoices and translates them into a transactional record that we can ingest in our own system so that number one, we can pay the organization that's doing the work, but number two, We could submit our data to the state because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what the state's expecting of the health plans.
0: Yeah, really good call right there, Martha, good call out. Um, I I know a lot of folks and interact with a lot of folks who are, like you mentioned, for the first time working with MCOs. And the word invoice is almost like a foreign language to MCOs because they're like claims. Are you to, you know, submit claims? (laughs) And the fact that you recognize that and uh, kudos to you guys as well as the other uh, MCOs as well who have recognized that um, in my day job, I deal with that. And uh, it's been great to see. Um, And also, kudos, not just in MCOs, but um, I know DHCS um, is trying hard, really hard, to make this as easy as possible for folks. We've touched on the advisory groups that's available to the public, and there's also funding as well to really help um, not-for-profits and other providers really get positioned with infrastructure and hiring Um, to really support the needy here in California and help you guys uh, meet those goals today and 2024 and beyond, like you mentioned, Martha, with access to care, equity, inclusion, and there's a lot of pressure to measure that. And, um, and, but luckily, you know, as I I am seeing steps forward with you guys there at HealthNet in my day job and, and just with the state providing the resources. So we've touched on a lot. And again, you've kept it really simple for our audience, which I know may not be easy, from an executive lens where you might be used to speaking in acronyms and jumping into the weeds. So I really want to say thank you, Martha, for joining us today. A big shout out to your colleague, Daryl, as well, uh, for organizing today's episode. Is there anything um, here in the last minute or so that you'd want to share that we didn't touch on today with the work of uh, HealthNet, California Health and Wellness, and your partnership with Calviva? Um,
1: Well, I mean, I think uh, the one thing that I would just say is... um, Personally, I am very optimistic about where the state's taking the Medi program. program. Um, you know, we are really on the brink of transforming healthcare. And um, it is a ginormous job, right? I mean, it's it's basically uh, where we are heading is intended to um, address decades of issues that have been, you know, built and creating pent up demand and, um, uh, you know, with not addressing some of these basics and, you know, rudimentary issues for for um, the people that we serve. Um, but it's also a moment where we're feeling like a community organizer, right? And um, it's very hard work. It's uh, very intensive. It's, you know, we're having to sort through a lot of things that we haven't really fully uh, deep dives in on the past, such as, you know, understanding the housing systems, the coordinated entry systems, and how people get access to housing as an example. But with all of that said, I will say that there has been an unprecedented level of collaboration at a variety of different levels. Um, I would also say that um, there are a number of counties that have really stepped up. And I'll give you one very um, specific example. So we, we do work in Sutter and Yuba counties. And the local leadership there has done a uh, tremendous job in just really leaning into the partnership with us to collaborate, um, helping us to organize the entire community to address or to identify gaps and come up with solutions that we can all coalesce around to deliver. And so now things like sobering centers in those two counties, which have never existed, but we know is a need, there's a game plan, right? HealthNet didn't do it alone. The counties didn't do it alone. We all did it together. And it's enabled by the framework that the Department of Healthcare Services has laid out. Um, but it's it's a lot of people really just beginning to gel, work together, looking at what's how, you know possible as opposed to allowing barriers to become the reason why not. So, um, you know, I'll just leave you with that really very optimistic. But I also don't want to wanna just um say um it's a significant lift on a lot of our parts. And so it will take all of us to, to make it happen.
0: Well said. Um, I know your roots are here in California and you've been there near the beginning of Managed medical. cal So um, your optimism is a uh, pretty well-versed uh, and educated optimism. Um, so if you're optimistic, I think most of us should probably feel the same. So Martha, as we wrap up our show, um, how can folks uh, keep up to speed at what HealthNet's up to here in California?
1: So um, I would ask um, everybody to follow us on LinkedIn, um, you know, follow, uh, follow HealthNet on LinkedIn. Um, you know, you're also always welcome to visit our website at um, healthnet.com. And, uh, you know, we, we regularly send out information on the latest and greatest updates on the work that we're doing.
0: Awesome, Martha. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for being our guest today. I know your calendar is quite busy and you found time for our audience today. So really appreciate you joining the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well.
1: Take care.